everybody. Welcome to the No Name Musicast. My name's Tim and this is Joy. And just before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone about our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash no name music cast. That's facebook.com slash no name music cast. So please uh, like us on there. We'll be posting some interesting content to go along with these episodes. Um, also, just like to mention once again that it's the month of May and we are sponsoring Radio Freak Jam this month. We're very happy to be doing that. So go to freakjam.co.uk or go onto YouTube and look up Ian Husbands' YouTube channel and you will see the great content that they put out there. And uh, yeah, ch check that out. So anyhow, on with the show. So this week it's Joy's topic. And as ever, I don't know what Joy has up her sleeve about this for, uh, for this episode. So Joy, it's over to you. Okay, so we are going to do movie soundtracks, but to keep this friendly, it's only 80s movie soundtracks. So we're going to go through what people vote as the top 80s movie soundtracks. We are not going to talk about Flash Gordon because we talked about that pretty heavily last um, episode, <laughs> but note that it did come through. Um, and so we're going to discuss what our favorites are. If we agree with some of the lists, me and Tim are not movie buffs. So don't come for us when it comes to the movies thing. But <laughs> Tim does know 80s and he knows his 80s movies. So that's why I picked this specific genre. And these are movies that generally almost everybody know because it's like the top. So before I start, Tim, do you have any movie soundtracks besides Flesh Gordon from the 80s that you absolutely adore? Well, one of my favorite soundtracks, and maybe it's a little obscure, I've always liked the soundtrack to The Running Man. Yeah, that's very obscure because I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a film with Arnold Schwarzenegger called The Running Man, and it's one of these like dystopian future films which is now, which has now taken place in the past. Makes sense. Because I remember um, I made a note, obviously this kind of thing I would do. I made a note <laughs> of the date because in the opening titles of The Running Man, it says on blah, 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 blah. And it was like 2020, it was like February something 2020. Um, you know, all, all civilization has broken down and this, that, the other has happened. And I remember watching it on the day and it's like, this is happening today. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, though. But it, but it, but it has um, it has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, and it also has Jesse the Body Ventura from uh, WWF wrestling fame, and it has at the very, it's about this uh, game show where people can go on um, go on this game show if if they're criminals and they can redeem themselves by winning this game. Okay. And then the spoiler is, of course, the, the people that were supposed to have won never actually win. They get killed off and all this kind of stuff. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think he was a cop or some, well, he was in the military or something. And he was scapegoated into being responsible for some kind of massacre with protesters. Hmm. So he gets so he gets thrown on this game. And the idea being is everyone thinks that he's going to uh, redeem himself. But of course, what happens is that he kills all the all the, the people in the games. Supposedly, he's going to win. And then, you know, he exposes the whole thing for being a sham, et cetera, et cetera. But another great has another great 80s reference in it. They have like dancers that, that's that open the game. At the, at, the, at the on the on the like the show within the film, and mm -hmm. all the choreography was done by Paula Abdul. Oh, which is fantastic! She's an amazing choreographer. So that I didn't know that's where that was going. But what about the soundtrack is so good? 
Well, it's a lot of it is like um, it's like incidental music type thing. It's like electronic. -y. It's it's like what the eighties thought music in the future would sound like. Huh. I just imagine Xanadu, but I don't think that's related. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's it's it's, it's that kind. Of, yeah, it's that kind of idea. It's like sort of. Synthes DX7 synthesizer-y type sounds and stuff. And there's a great song on there called Captain Freedom's Workout and Captain Freedom being Jesse the Body Ventura. So the question being, was Arnold Schwarzenegger wearing skates? Was he on roller skates like Xanadu? That's the real question. No, he, he, he was not on. He was not on roller skates. Well, the movie seemed interesting, but I was really hoping for the roller skates. It <laughs> 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 would have been a very uh, that would have been a turn of events. All right. So a lot of these movies are going to be ones that you know of, but I'm not going to do them in any particular order. I just kind of researched the most popular ones that kept appearing, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm just going to hint on a few of them that were my personal favorites to begin with. So. One of my all-time favorite movies is Footloose. Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore Footloose. I adore the soundtrack of Footloose. I adore Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Everything about Footloose is quality to me. I realize it is cliche, uh, but that is a great use of a soundtrack to a movie, personally. And I'm assuming you've watched Footloose, Tim, right? I believe I if I haven't seen the whole of Footloose, but I, I was I think it's one of those things that has been on somewhere and I've seen bits <laughs> of it. And I'm I'm familiar with the concept of Footloose. Footloose. So, you know, they're not allowed to dance. He listens to his music too loud. He's from out of town. It's cliche. I realize it is a cliche movie and I probably should um, go with my mother because she was the one who kind of made me upset with upset, obsessed with Footloose just out of the <laughs> fact that she listened to it a lot. But I. I like um, more probably poppy music than not maybe everyone who listens to our podcast, but I do like upbeat music. I like happy music and the, the, to summarize it, a lot of the music, I mean, you've got like, let's hear it from the boy Denise Williams, which is, I'm sure, you know, that song. Um, oh, in fact, I was, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a, uh, that is a pop song. You know, you, you have these songs that take you right back to your youth. Yeah. And I remember that when that was in the charts on the on the radio. I think it, it was either a hit before Footloose or after Footloose, but it was certainly like it's certainly in England. It was a big hit at the time, and I, I just I just remember like good memories of we was living in Hounslow at the time when we lived above that TV shop. Of course, you know where that is, Joy. You know, yeah, Hounslow. that's the TV shop that I went to all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, bottom, you know, bottom of the high street used to be the Beacon Bingo Club. You remember that? Yeah, remember, totally. Remember they gave me yeah. a meat raffle there once. <laughs> <laughs> That's sick. If you don't well, get yeah. that reference, go back a few episodes, everybody. <laughs> and I don't know, that, that song, Let's Hear It For The Boy, I mean, if, I, if when I hear it now, it's like, boom, it just takes me straight back to that, to that moment in time. So one thing that I probably have a bias with this is I was in show choirs in high school and we would perform and we would do choreography and we would go sing and we would travel and all these things. And one year, one of our, a lot of our music came from Footloose because, you know, it's a very popular upbeat. So let's hear it for the boy. Of course, I know you've heard the song Footloose by Kitty Loggins. It's, uh, you know, one of the most famous songs of all time. Got a really good, cool guitar riff. It's fun sounding. I'm sure you've probably played it in a band or two once or twice before um and then you've got like bonnie taylor holding out for a hero which mm -hmm. i can't hear anymore without thinking of shrek if you've never watched shrek at the end of shrek the god fairy godmother does a whole scene to holding out for a hero and that's all i can hear when i think of that song now 
Um, sorry for the people listening who had gotten that out of their brain and now it's back. <laughs> I mean, you've got Almost Paradise, which is that really sweet song between the mother and the father. It's just an all around. You even got Sammy Hagar in it. Um, the girl gets around at one point, comes on. It's just like a fantastic soundtrack from point A to point B. And it's a cliche movie, out of town kid, rough on the tracks, doesn't quite fit in, changes the town. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. I get it. But for soundtracks, as far as movie goes, it's probably my top. I rank it up there. Yeah, and I mean, you, were, you were saying about Footloose. Um, I, I've played it. I hadn't played it in bands in England, but I think most of the cover bands I've been in here have played Footloose. And the thing is, it had a resurgence because they remade Footloose. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and don't come for me, Internet, I didn't hate the remake. It wasn't the original, but I didn't hate it. I thought it was just a creative take. It really didn't spar that far. Now, I will say... It was, uh, what was the country artist who did the version of Footloose? Blake Shelton did the version for the new movie? That's that's correct, yes. I still prefer the Kenny Loggins version, but that's just personal preference. Um, But I still think they did justice, and I don't have any problem with it. A lot of diehard Footloose fans came for them when they produced that movie, but not me personally. Do do you want want an interesting fun fact about um, Footloose? What's that? Well, Nathan East played bass on the Kenny Loggins track Footloose, and he also performed it at Live Aid with Kenny Loggins. And Nathan East is a very well-respected, fantastic bass player who's played with everybody, notably Eric Clapton. But, you know, any anyone that you could think of has played with Nathan East. And Nathan East played all the live bass on um, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. And absolutely love Daft Punk. So that that makes that's pretty cool, though. I had no clue. Makes sense, though. There we go. Rock and roll trivia fact. Woo! One day, one of our one of our fans, can I say fans? One of our listeners is going to win Jeopardy. And they're going to be like, <laughs> because of Tim O'Sullivan. <laughs> Three years ago on this day, I was able to win. So um, Footloose. And then another, and Tim probably knows this one. This one's an all-time favorite. Everyone I know in the world has seen this movie. The Blues Brothers. Of course. I am a huge Blues Brothers fan. I can quote the movie like the back of my head. I mean, it's dark outside and we're wearing sunglasses. Come on, guys. Yeah, exactly. Also, though, Sammy and Dave, and I know a lot of like the Soul Man type stuff that a lot of the mainstream stuff is a remake of previous music, um, Mm -hmm. um, which is fantastic. I like the originals, too. But the movie... The Blues Brothers. It's an all-time favorite. I mean, you've got the church scene with what's his name? Uh, what's the guy singing in the church? The famous. Um, oh God, that's going to kill me. I, I, once again, I can. Say, Phil is right now shouting at his car oh, stereo. Oh, I'm to work. shouting in my brain, but I can't remember what it is. Um, who is it? Blues Brothers is one of those films I've seen a few times, but it's not like a, a Flash Gordon James or a Brown. Moonraker. James I, Brown. Of course it's James <laughs> Brown. Because Aretha Franklin's the one in the restaurant. And then you've got uh, Ray Charles in the, uh, the, he's selling the, like the pawn shop. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You've got, I mean, you have three amazing artists on top of the soundtrack. You've got um, James Brown in the opening scene of the church when they come mm-hmm. to Jesus. Then you've got Aretha Franklin singing Think in the restaurant, which is another fantastic moment. And then you have Ray Charles playing the piano. Um, <laughs> what is it? Do the duck, do the bird. I don't know. The song that's like, um, please teach you the dances. I can't remember it exactly, but it's awesome. Like all around, if you love, music and if you love 
if you like 80s movies, I think the Blues Brothers kind of sums up one of the best soundtracks of all time. And it also has Princess Leia in it. That is true. Of course he brings that up. <laughs> I would <laughs> Cause never. Because I know, well, it has Carrie Fisher in it. There you go. <laughs> well, I love Carrie Fisher. And I was actually reading an article, a really sweet article about her and her mother. They're just fantastic. And you know that her daughter is now in TV shows too. Can't think of what her name is. But Billy I- Lord. That's her name. I uh, watched the Scream, the TV show that was like based off the movie, and she was in it. She was fantastic, and I didn't even know that that was her mom until you know her and Debbie both passed away within like a few days of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Billy came out, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was their daughter!" I had no idea. Yeah, and in fact, she was in the the one of the not the I've only I've, of the the Star Wars remakes, the ones that they made recently. I've only seen the first one and the second one, but I think she was in both of those. No, I, I mean, I've heard that. I haven't watched them personally. Please still hate me, Internet, but I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we need to do is we need to um, get you and Andy Bradley on a Zoom together, and then I'll play Star Wars in one of the windows, and then, I don't know, so, something will happen. I think the world will, have, will implode <laughs> upon itself or something. I don't know how that will work. Well, that makes sense. But also, I'm pretty sure that you've got John Lee Hooker, who's a famous yes. musician. He's in the blues. He plays the saxophone, right? Saxophone? No, John Lee Hooker is a guitar player and guitar singer. player. OK, I couldn't. Who is the famous? Isn't there a famous saxophone player in the Blues Brothers? There's somebody who plays a saxophone in the Blues Brothers, too, who's very famous, but I can't remember his name. Um, and then you've also got. Um, well, you know, you got John Candy, you got Shaka Khan, apparently, you know, all that kind of stuff appear in the Blues Brothers through all of their time. So Blues Brothers, all time favorite ranks up there for me. Um, I'm just going to say if you've not listened to the Blues Brothers soundtrack, please do it. Now, another one that came up consistently, and this is not going to shock you in any way, Tim, was Top Gun. Yeah. Do you know what's funny about Top Gun is that I have never seen Top Gun. You've never seen Top Gun? No, I've, I've, I'm familiar. I've owned the soundtrack. I'll say you probably know the music though, right? Yeah. I know Danger Zone and I know the, um, the, um, the Top Gun theme played by, I think it's Steve Stevens who plays it. And it's, um, so I know all the songs from Top Gun and interesting fact, when I, years ago, when I lived in above that TV shop in Hounslow, they had Dolby surround that a Dolby surround system in before anyone else had it. And, you know, <laughs> at that time it was very simple. You just had speakers at the back and speakers at the front and they had a demo laser disc. Are you familiar, <laughs> are you, are you familiar with laser disc? I know it is. Yeah. But for, for people who don't know are listening to this laser disc was like a pre DVD type format and the discs were 12 inches, but looked like big CDs basically. And the way that they put the pictures on there was not digital. It was analog, which meant that if you had a movie, Movie, you had to flip it over halfway through. <laughs> I didn't know the but, flipping over part. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you'd watch a film and then like an hour and five minutes into it, you had to flip the disc over. That's crazy. So that's the the way a track was for VHS for cassettes. I mean, then that was for v, for DVDs. Interesting. I've heard of yeah. it and I've seen it, but I didn't know you had to flip it. Yeah, yeah, because because the because they hadn't really got got to the thing of where you could compress the data like a DVD, uh, where you yeah. get hours and hours and hours of high quality or Blu-ray. We have hours and hours of high quality stuff on a small disc. It was the way they did it 
was analog, so the, the, the discs were really big. So, but they had really good sound quality, and they were the first, one of the first formats that had Dolby Surround, which <laughs> allowed you to have that rear channel stuff. And I remember my dad showing it to me. They had a, they had a test system set up with one of these discs in and went, went to see it, and it had clips from Top Gun. And it was all the bits where the planes were flying, and they went from behind you to in front yeah. of you and all that kind of stuff. And at that point, I decided that I thought it was a gimmick and I've never really liked surround sound since. (laughs) So that was a turning point in Tim's life that we all just learned about. Which is why I don't have like a surround sound system in the house because I like my left and I like my right. (laughs) But let's just I will will shout at clouds if I have to. (laughs) So with that being said, here's a good fact about Danger Zone, the song we all know. So we all know that there was the song Danger Zone. It opens up Kenny Loggins, same person we just talked about in the last episode. He made a lot of money off of 80s movies. Um, so apparently it was supposed to be recorded by like six other people. Did you know that? So first of all, originally Toto, of all bands, Toto, was going to do Danger Zone. And do you know what? Actually, now I come to think of it, I know that because... I recently listened to Steve Lukather's autobiography, and now you mention it, I remember he said that they recorded a demo version of it. Apparently, legal conflicts between the film's producers and the band's lawyers prevented this. And then Brian Adams, of all people, which is really strange to me, was the next person approached. And I cannot. I mean, can you picture a Brian Adams version of Danger Zone? Because I can't. Everything I do, I do it in the danger zone. I mean, it would be very, um, I just, I mean, okay. So then Adam refused any involvement, feeling the film glorified war, um, and he didn't want to work with it. And then (laughs) Ario Speedwagon was then approached to record that. Really? Yes. Which, in all seriousness, I can't think of an Aria Speedwagon version of Danger Zone. The movie would have been so different if any of these other artists... I could hear the Toto one, because I think they could make it, you know, pretty similar to the King. But the rest of these... Okay, so Aria Speedwagon was approached to perform Danger Zone, but the group declined due to not being allowed to contribute any of their own compositions to the soundtrack. Hmm, okay. (laughs) Okay, it's where Corey Hart, of all people, 80s heartthrob Corey Hart, who had like, you know, was popular for like five minutes, was then approached after Ario Speedwagon turned it down. I had no clue. And then the list just goes on. However, Hart um, decided he didn't want to do it either because he preferred writing and performing his own compositions, the same thing Ario Speedwagon said. However, um, later on, he did record Hold On for the soundtrack Beverly Hills Cop 2, which I don't think I've ever seen. Um, and then eventually, after all these other artists turned it down, they gave it to Kenny Loggins, and that's how we got Danger Zone, which is, even if you've never watched the movie, one of the most iconic songs of all time. Exactly. I have a a funny story about Danger Zone. So very early into my career at the place where we work, there was a something that was thrown upon us that we had to do. And it was something that was very pressing and we had to do it. And people came in 
uh, it was like a, in the course of an afternoon, I'm not exaggerating, maybe 100 people came in. They came in with their computer. We had to do something. It was very important. We did it. And then they went off. But we wasn't told about this until about 25 minutes beforehand. Of it was course. Very, it was like an emergency fix that we had to do. And the young lady I used to work with in the in the office in the help desk, she was not terribly impressed with the fact that this was going to descend upon us any minute. And she had her phone with Danger Zone on it and she started <laughs> playing it. And every time it finished, she hit play again. So all you had all afternoon was danger zone on a loop and like it would finish and she'd be doing this fix and then the person would leave the office and then you think that's it no more danger zone and then she'd go <laughs> and now whenever i hear danger zone all i remember is that afternoon of all this work descending upon us all these people coming in to have their laptops fixed and and she and so this lady I work with just running danger zone on a loop. I mean that's fantastic, Tim. But did any of those people's computers catch fire? No, they didn't. Okay. No. This, this was in the pre-thermal <laughs> event days. We will leave um, names unknown, but Joyce's computer may have caught fire once. Anyway. That happened possibly <laughs> at work and it created a, a, a danger zone in the IT department <laughs> and multiple screws had to be rearranged and many people, and I still never got my bag from Dell. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone from Dell is listening, you still owe me a computer back. All right. <laughs> there are people listening to this podcast, super confused. Okay. Tim and I work at the same place. My computer one time may have caught fire. Moral of the story, I burnt my finger. It was a whole big to do. A lot of computers had to be fixed, but we did not play danger zone when that happened. And we missed an opportunity, Tim. We missed I think, I think, I think next time there is a thermal event, I think I'm on cracking out the, uh, cracking out the danger zone. Cause you never know. <laughs> <laughs> that would, Oh my God. I, uh, anyway, so anyway, that's why that was even funnier to me because the entire time this is happening, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think that was at our work, but we missed an opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. <laughs> what else is on that soundtrack apart from Danger Zone? Uh, let me bring up the proper listing. So there's tons, but there's only you is the first one that comes to mind. But I'm going to bring up the proper. Um, of course, I closed out of it before you asked because I was too far ahead of myself. Um, Top Gun soundtrack. So Danger Zone, um, Hot Summer Nights, Miami Sound Machine. They're like in a bar and that's what starts playing. Uh, Mighty Wing Cheap Trick, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know this song off the top of my head, but it's just Through the Fire, Larry Green. Don't know if that rings a bell to you or not. Um, there's a Top Gun anthem, which I know you talked about. Sitting on the dock of the bay, Otis Redding. I remember that part of the movie because that's a favorite of mine. You've got mm -hmm. Great Balls of Fire, Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, you've lost that loving feeling, The Righteous Brothers, which has been used in like every movie since the beginning of time. How mm -hmm. much are The Righteous Brothers probably worth now? Well, I'd imagine zero. So are, they, are the Righteous Brothers still with us? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. How much are their estates worth? <laughs> <laughs> not up on my Righteous Brother knowledge, but if they are not alive, their estates are worth a lot because they've been used in like a thousand movies. I could think off the top of my head and every car commercial TV show just from the beginning of time. Well, you know what they may have done? Because, you know, did you hear recently that Bob Dylan sold his entire publishing catalog? Did you hear about that? No, but that's not shocking to me. So, I mean, 
obviously Bob Dylan's older and I mean Bob Dylan's not going to live forever so I think what a lot of these these legacy artists want to make sure that they're well that they've got the money from their catalog and they can distribute it as they want to while they're still with us mm -hmm. so Bob Dylan sold his entire publishing catalog all the rights to all of his songs um all, all his creative work and sold it to Sony or BMG or one of these like big conglomerates for $300 million or $400 million. So or he something. did the opposite of all the other ones who die first and then their family sells it off once they're gone. Yeah, and I think I, th I think this is probably the a better way of doing it because yeah. then Bob can Bob can decide if he wants to give the money to a charity, if he wants to hand it to his family, if he wants to you know however he wants to to, to place place the money and his legacy to continue. Rather than what happens is like you say, these artists die suddenly and then like their families are like sharks and just trying to sell this stuff off to the highest bidder. Well, and Tim knows this fact, and I've said it before. We talked about it. So there was a long time ago. There was a conversation between Michael. Jackson and Paul McCartney about what is the best way to get money quickly. How do I earn money? Just like, you know, on the fly. And he said, buy rights to music. Paul McCartney did not be buy rights to my music, which is exactly what Michael Jackson did. So when Michael Jackson passed, not only did his catalog get released, but a lot of the Beatles catalog got released. And that's when you started seeing like Beatles rock band and Beatles this and Beatles that, that you weren't seeing before because it was sold off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Paul Paul said to it was the sessions for say say say. Mm -hmm. It was that session, and then they you know they just got downtime in the studio, and he said, "Oh, he said, what you know, what in business, what should I be getting into?" Like you said, and Paul said, "You want to get into music publishing?" He said, "That's where all the money's to be made." So Michael Jackson went away and bought the Northern Songs catalog. Yeah. And so that's where it all came from. But and so those are the prime examples I can think of immediately. I don't know what happened to Prince's estate. I haven't looked into that. I don't know if his music's been sold off. I haven't seen it used in any like commercials or like video games or anything. So I'm still thinking someone's holding on to his catalog. But that does happen legitimately when people pass their catalogs get shipped off. So it sounds like Bob Dylan took the proper way to go about it. And why not sell it before you pass away? So you have control over it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thing was uh, REO Speedwagon did make the um, cut. Can't bite the, this feeling was in there. And then it's the final countdown. Oh, the final countdown. <laughs> that is, I love the final countdown. That is, such a, that is such a great song. And back, back when I played in the band Rough Justice, which I do still consider myself a part of, but even though it was... <laughs> It's been 10 years since I played a gig with them at some point. <laughs> um, we used to do a version of the final countdown and it was great. I, I, well, and again, you talk about songs that take you right back. I think of playing the final countdown at O'Neill's in Woking. Again, place that you're very familiar with, Joy. Yes. Um, you know, with the parking lot. I was actually where... born there. I was born there. Yeah, you know, Woking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another song that, like, I think of the final countdown and I think of playing that in O'Neill's with Rough Justice. And again, it just it takes you right back to that moment in time. Also, though, who can hear someone say the final countdown and not start singing that song? Truthfully, if you don't start singing that song, it's as soon as someone says the final countdown, I'm not sure I can trust you because it's instinctual for me. Yeah, because you just want to go, it's the final countdown. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yeah, you even have to do the side effects. It's a fan. And I, you know, like when people are referencing things and they're always putting um, the one from Rocky where he's running up the steps. Um, what? I have the tiger. 
Yeah. I think that one is so overrated, but like for me, but if I hear it's the final countdown, I have to do it. (laughs) So maybe it just depends on the person, but anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was some of the ones that have made it into the Top Gun soundtrack, which that's a pretty big variety. Oh, Berlin, take my breath away. We've all heard that. that, Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is a, I think aside for, aside from Danger Zone, I think Take My Breath Away. I mean, I think that's the most one of the iconic songs from, mm-hmm. from Top Gun. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, you've lost that loving feeling in Grey Balls of Fire. I'd probably say are the two other top two songs and then the final countdown. So those were the ones that kept coming up. Another one that is a favorite of mine that pops up consistently, Dirty Dancing. Yeah, and for, and for our uh, friends who who don't live in Southwest Virginia, Dirty Dancing was filmed not actually far from here. I actually interviewed for a job there once. <laughs> Didn't get it. Did you know? But they no. took me because I interviewed. They took me on a free tour of the whole facility and showed me where everything was. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, you got to ride around this little bus with this girl on a that drives like a crazy person on a cliff in the middle of a mountain. But I got to see where Dirty Dancing was filmed, and I also didn't feel like my life was going to end at any time, which I totally did because I mean, her, when I say this, okay. So I interviewed for just an HR position there. I work in HR. This is long before I started working where me and Tim work when I was looking for new positions. It's one of the places I went. So they brought me in and they were talking to me and their, their stick is that dirty dancing was filmed there. It's still their stick to this day. They use it very well. So one of the things in the interview they brought me around was they brought me around the mountain. And it's up on a mountain, guys. I mean, think steep mountain, middle of nowhere, southwest Virginia. I don't know what the equivalent in England would be, but think middle of nowhere is banjos playing. So <laughs> with that being said, that we there's multiple different pieces in the camp. And then you've actually got the mountain, uh, the lake, which is dried up now. There's no lake there anymore. But she drove me around and it was steep and she was in this giant van and like people were coming at us and she just swinging the van around doing like 60 around all these curves. I didn't get the job, but I should have because I risked my life to see where Dirty Dancing was filled. <laughs> I literally saw my life flash before my eyes like seven. I'm like, I'm going to die up here. This is what I'm going to be known as the girl who died where Dirty Dancing was filled. <laughs> well, the question I have for you is that when you uh, when you finish the tour and you you finished your interview and you got back to your car did you think to yourself i've had the time of my life no not even a little bit because after all that the interview wasn't that great because i'm still like having a heart because she gave me the tour before we even interviewed which i thought was weird but i'll be like okay and i mean we saw she's like here's where they film this and there's where baby runs up the stairs you know and this is the house where she carries the watermelon and then for people who don't know this outside of Virginia, our friends in England and stuff, Mountain Lake is dried up. There's no lake anymore. It's completely just desolate. There's a whole scientific reason for that that I'm not going to get into, but there's nothing there. It's just an open field. So they show you the place where um, in the gazebo where they're doing the dance lessons at the beginning of the movie. And then when you look off the gazebo, you could see the area where supposedly they filmed the lift um and all that kind of stuff but that it's it's literally just grass <laughs> yeah there's no I, like yeah i've i've been i've been driven past it but i've never been to it we was on the way to a gig somewhere and said oh that's mountain lake over there 
Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's truly it's kind of an expensive place because they do have that whole thing. And my friend who used to work there, they have celebrities who come and stay there. He talked about Adam Levine came once and they gave him a different name and nobody was allowed to look at him. (laughs) Just different things like that. So anyway, moral story is Joy almost died where Dirty Dancing was filmed, but she made it. And now she can tell you about it in a podcast. All right. Theme song. (laughs) Theme song. Of course, we all know. I've had the time of my life. Fantastic song. We've heard about it. Bill Medley, Jennifer Warren's great, great, great um, duo. And then Be My Baby, The Ronettes, which is a favorite of mine. I can hear mm-hmm. that tonight. We, if I hear that every time, my heart just like, I love it. She's like the wind, which is also Patrick Swayze. Um, Hungry Eyes. We've all heard Hungry Eyes. Stay mm-hmm. by Morris Williams is one of my all-time favorite songs. I could listen to it on repeat. His voice is gorgeous. It is the epitome of what I think of when it comes to R&B. So hopefully you guys have heard it. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Um, you don't owe me the blow monkeys. Um, love is strange, Mickey and Sylvia. And if you've seen the movie, you know, they're doing their little dance and it comes up, hi, Mickey. you know, they do the part back and forth. Um, so I'm assuming Tim, you've watched dirty dancing. Can you recall anything from dirty dancing? I have seen, I, I have seen dirty dancing and I saw it in Germany when I went to stay with my uncle, um, <laughs> probably in the late eighties, early nineties. And it was on a VHS tape, and <laughs> I believe it may have had German subtitles, possibly. Okay. If it, <laughs> if it, <laughs> I think. Well, a fact about Dirty Dancing. Hey, Joyce got some of the facts this time for once. Um, <laughs> Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey hated each other. They absolutely oh. couldn't stand each other. So the two main characters literally detested each other and patrick swayze had recently it was either his back or his knee he had really suffered some really major injuries and so basically through the whole movie he's just in extreme pain and hides it really well yeah so there you go but i'm sure even though you have not necessarily watched it recently you recognize some of those songs Oh, yeah, 100%. As I said, I I have seen it, but it was some time ago in Germany on a VHS tape that may or may not have subtitles. That makes it more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone has a copy of that, please send it to us. We want to listen. I want to see it in German subtitles or American (laughs) English subtitles in German because I'm trying to imagine it. <laughs> All right. So some of the other ones that popped up was um Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I'm not super familiar with. Have you watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High? But it popped up consistently across the board of 80 soundtracks. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I'm familiar with it because it has a Sammy Hagar song on it, I, I believe. Let's see. Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack. It popped up a bunch, so a lot of people associate it. So I see it has the Waffle Stop by Joe Walsh. Okay. Uptown Boys, which we know. Raised on the Radio, The Look in Your Eyes, Speeding the Go-Go's. I know that song. Oh, um, literally Fast Times at Ridgemont High is by Sammy Hagar. So it must have been a song that he wrote for the movie or did for the movie. 
Exactly. So, and can I just point out that Sammy Hagar, he was abducted by aliens, and that is why he is 73 years old and he looks like he's 50. We have discussed this, and we have decided he was abducted by aliens. A- aliens. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and then Billy Squire, which I can't think of him without thinking of stroke, but that's another debate for another time. Um, he wrote a song called Fast Times, parenthesis, The Best Times of Our Lives, and that was specific to that movie, too. And then I don't know by Jimmy Buffett, um, Donna Summers on there, Stevie Nicks is on there, Oingo Bongo, Bongo, oh my God, why can't I say words? <laughs> Whatever that thing with the O and the B. Goodbye, goodbye, it's on there. Somebody's screaming at me right now. I'm sorry, it's hard. <laughs> but apparently, those are all in there. That is not one I'm from. I've watched it, I think, maybe in the past, possibly. Yeah, it's it's not. I, I, maybe it was more popular in this country than it was in England and elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, I know it from the Sammy Hagar connection because I've, I've, I think I have the I have the song in my li- my music library, and I'm familiar with it from that. Okay, so here's one that popped up consistently, and I think Tim, you may have talked about this. One of the 1980s versions of Batman. The whole soundtrack is done by Prince. Yes, that I have. I have that on CD in my uh, in my permanent collection. I remember. Bu- I, I remember buying it. Well, in fact, let me just take you right back to give you my uh, my, my my memories and thoughts on the Batman film. So, so I remember when that Batman film came out, and it was the one with Michael Keaton, and it was the first one of like the Batman contemporary remakes. Mm-hmm. So, for most people in England, they didn't grow up with the comic books. Batman. I'm sure some people were into that, but as a rule, most people didn't grow up with Batman comic books. Are comic books popular in England or is that not as huge? Certainly when I was a kid, you had comic books, but it was the Beano and the Wizard and Chips and hmm. the Dandy and stuff like that. They were like very British comic oh. books, but, but like character comic books like X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman. I'm sure it was available and I'm sure people liked it, but certainly people were more, if you was into comics, you liked the Beano or you liked the Dandy or you liked huh. the Wizard and Chips. You didn't, you wasn't into like DC or Marvel comics and stuff like Interesting. that. Interesting. I never thought about that. Okay. Mm. Continue. Sorry. So, so, yeah. So anyway, so that film was coming out and it was hugely hyped. And I think it was mid to late eighties that came up with Michael Keane. Okay. So I was excited and a lot of people were excited. But most people in England only know Batman from the Adam West Batman, the 1960s Adam West Batman. Okay. So, and there was this whole thing in tabloid newspapers at the time. They said, well, they're bringing, they're bringing out a Batman film and it's not going to have Robin in it. And everyone's like, what? Is that Robin? Well, of course, that, that fo- more follows the comic book type stories and the timeline and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But most people were familiar with the Batman that they knew from Adam West, the campy Batman from 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 the 60s so i was on holiday in bogner regis with my family and i we were we decided that we was going to have a family trip to the cinema and it was decided that we was going to see the new indiana jones film that was out out at that time i don't know which indiana jones film it was but we all went to the uh, to the cinema and we got there and Indiana Jones, we obviously messed the timing up. And Indiana Jones, you had to wait an hour or 40 minutes for it to start. And then the Batman film was, was starting in five minutes. And my dad didn't want to wait. So we saw Batman. And I was excited about that. Very excited <laughs> about that. And um, so the film started. 
and about it's the first time I'd ever been in a cinema when maybe 35, 40 minutes into the film, the film broke. That happened to me once. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, what movie was it? It was my entire family, too. And the, they gave us they had to give us our money back. The film just stops running. Well, they made, they managed to fix it. I remember it was from clunk, and that was it. Because they were that was before digital projection, and it was actual film. But it but Prince it, but didn't it like the way he looked or sounded at that moment, so he ripped it out of the sky because that's the way Prince is. Yeah, Pr- Prince spent a lot of time in Butlins at Bogner Regis. <laughs> let me tell you, at the cinema, and literally ripped that out. <laughs> ex- exactly. <laughs> so anyway, well, I came out of the film, and I. I was a little disappointed because it didn't have um, Robin in it and it was nothing like Adam West Batman. But, but I did enjoy the soundtrack and I remember buying the Batman soundtrack from Woolworths in Hounslow High Street on CD and I listened to it a lot and I really enjoyed it. And then recently when I got back into buying physical music, I rebought the Batman soundtrack again because I remembered how much I enjoyed it. And I've listened to it a lot since. If you've never listened to Prince's version of Bat Dance, go do it. It's fantastic. We'll have to put it in the, um, we might have to put it in the link after we're done because Prince's version of Bat Dance is amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're people, are, I remember that was at number one and um, a lot of people hated it because it's kind of wacky, sort of. It's not, you know what it you know what it's like it's like a i think we spoke about this before if you see if you have like a musical they have the overture at the beginning which has little snippets from all of the songs that you're Mm -hmm. about to hear in in the piece and bat dance is almost like that where it has little it has snippets of dialogue and it has snippets of various other themes from the batman album all the way through that makes sense well yeah i had never really thought about that but i guess you're right now that i i have to go back and listen to it myself when i pulled that link because i've never thought of it in that way but it has one of the songs that has the song the future on it. it has the song electric chair, chair vicky waiting um party man that was another single from about that time yeah. of that album and it's and the thing is that gets me with prince i mean it, again such an amazing talent that we lost so early in, in his life i mean he wasn't that old Mm-mm. is that like he create he created all that music basically in a vacuum i mean he he worked with other people occasionally and i'm sure he maybe had and maybe had someone else in the studio occasionally but every prince album you see is like written produced performed thought of everything Prince. It's almost like when I think of like what I think of Prince, though, you're right, though, like every song, everything is like it's like he painted a picture of what he wanted to be through his music in a way. So he controlled a lot of the aspects of it to get out what he wanted from it. But that's crazy to think about how many albums he probably had, how many songs he had. I mean, I could think of probably seven Prince, you know, hits just right off the top of my head. If you ask me, off the, you know, I mean, how many people can't think you are, you know, off the top of their head when you ask them. So I can't imagine not, like not having someone to collaborate with in the sense, like I'm sure you had basic collaboration. Somebody was producing some of his music. I'm sure there was some backdoor people, but how was he able to collectively do that is just crazy. Because when I think of creativity, I tend to need to have somebody to feed off of. But he had the ability to just know what he wanted and went for it pretty much. Yeah, as I said, I mean, he, like you say, he has dozens and dozens yeah. and dozens of albums and all these amazing hits. And, and it's like, like you say, maybe there was some people around him 
But like you look at all those credits, it's just like written by, produced by, mastered by, mixed by Prince. But he also wrote music for a bunch of other artists too, not just himself. You can if you Google songs that Prince wrote for other people, he wrote music for tons of other artists too. Yeah, the Bangles "Manic Monday" is a Prince song. Mm-hmm. He gave that to the Bangles. I think I think he I think he had a liking for Susanna Hoffs, and he gave that song to the Bangles. And there's a bunch of other artists like that, but I mean, if okay, Manic Monday, um, little let's see, Little Red Corvette was also sang by Stand Back. You are my love, nothing compares to you. Sinead O'Connor was a Prince song. I don't think yeah. I even knew that. Um, obviously, I mean, if you Google it, there's tons and tons of other songs that were recorded by other people that he wrote. So, but I mean, I I can't think. Truthfully, I can't think of a lot of other artists that I would say had as many hits across the board. They personally wrote, produced and performed as Prince. No. And and being such a talented um, multi-instrumentalist as well. Oh, yeah. He did play like seven instruments. Yeah. All to, all to basically virtuoso standard as well. I mean, like, because you get some people who play a bit of guitar and play a bit of bass and play a bit of keyboards and that kind of stuff. But whenever you see Prince playing any instruments, it's like, yeah, he's actually really, really good at that. Well, he also did I Feel For You, Shaka Khan, which is, I love Shaka Khan. That's one of my favorite Shaka Khan songs. Jungle Love was sung by Prince, which I have to think if Jungle Love, Lug, Lug, I can't speak to that. Jungle Love <laughs> was produced, was performed by Prince. Prince, I have to think it would have sounded much differently. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think there was a creative spin on that one. I can't imagine that version being done by Prince. But also, like, you know, when he changed his name and he's famous for his purple and he's famous for his guitar he always played on, he really did almost in a sense, I don't want to say spectacle because that sounds bad. He created what he wanted to be seen as across the board. Sure, absolutely. And I think that goes back to how he wrote, produced and created all that music by himself. He was very much in control of his image and control of everything. Well, I have respect for him because that's crazy. And I there's I could think on one hand as many other artists that I contribute to be able to do as well as he did in that. Because even most other artists, even if they wrote the song, there's like other people help produce it or there's um, somebody who contributed to it. You know, it for him, it's like he was on his own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at like Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, the the bulk of Michael Jackson's songs were not written by Michael Jackson. Hmm. And he and and as far as I know, he I think he played a tiny bit of guitar, but he didn't he was not a uh, didn't have an instrument, which was his instrument. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could think of Madonna. She wrote some of her own music, but she had a lot of people who contributed to her songs. She had people who were producing her music. Um, I mean, Queen, Queen, though, had multiple people on most of their tracks. Um, so I, it's really hard to think of something. I can think of people who wrote a lot of songs for other musicians. There are a handful of people who did not do well for themselves, but were, wrote music for other people. Um, but Prince did both, which is hard to think of. Yeah, and it's a shame that he was taken from us so so soon in his life because I mean he he probably still had so much music and so much good stuff to give. I'm still upset about the um when they did him at the Super Bowl and he specifically said he did not want to be a hologram and they made him into a hologram. Still makes yeah. me angry. Disrespect. Yeah, it's it's that thing that like they have at Disney World where they call it Pepper's Ghost, where it's like two pieces of glass and one's at a forty five degree angle, and you project on one, and then it appears on the other, and it looks like it's a mm-hmm. hologram. But yeah, it, 
You, you don't you don't want that. Well, he's just it wouldn't have been so bad if he had specifically said that's the opposite of what he wanted, you know. Um, but of course, when we're talking about Prince and I've got just a few more things I'll leave you with. Purple Rain. The soundtrack for Purple Rain came up on every 80s um, famous soundtracks I've ever heard, which, of course, was, you know, all written by Prince, movie by Prince. We all know When Doves Cry. So that one kept popping up consistently. Yeah. Do you know an interesting fact about When Doves Cry? It doesn't have bass on it. That is interesting because I've never noticed. No. And that's the that's the thing you don't notice. And some somebody told me that. 20 years ago and they said you know because when doves cry it doesn't have bass on it i said of course it has bass on it and then i went home and listened and it does not have a bass line and i looked into it further in the internet age and apparently prince put a bass line on it and he said it didn't sound any good so he took it off of course he did that sounds like something you do and then my personal favorite let's go crazy you know i love let's go crazy um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was another one. Of course, uh, Prince, everything Prince came up. So basically, Prince made it onto two soundtracks on this list because he's Prince and he's fantastic. Um, I'm going to leave you with this. There's Don't You Forget About Me from Breakfast Club, you know, some mm-hmm. minds. So they weren't supposed to record that. Did you know that, Tim? It was offered to another person. They hated the song. No, I didn't. Well, actually, do you know what? I recently bought a Simple Minds CD of that era. And I remember reading the Wikipedia, because often when I buy albums and I listen to them, I like to list, like to read the Wikipedia article about the album. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get extra facts that are not always in the liner notes. And I did read that. The, I, I, I remember the name of the album was now. I, I, maybe I should I should I should look it up to make my uh, my story better. So the story goes is they offered it to them and they initially like turned it down. They hated it. And it became their number one hit in America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the album is Once Upon a Time. So that was the album they had out in at that time. And they didn't want to put Don't You Forget About Me on it because for the reasons that you just you just <laughs> said, they, they they didn't they didn't think it was a good track. But then of course it exploded with that film. And then the subsequent reissues of that album and special editions and picture discs and all streaming and all that kind of jazz now has that as a track on it. And it's been used in pop culture references on anything related to school since there was a Gap commercial where the kids are like get out of their um, car and they're like coming in and they're all dressed like different members of the breakfast club. And I mean, even one guy gives like the, the fist in the air at like the end of the breakfast club. And there's a version of don't you forget about me playing in the background. It's become kind of synonymous synonymous with that feeling that back to school i don't know why words are hard for me tonight guys please don't judge me um <laughs> but the guy who did don't you forget about me he actually offered it to billy idol first who turned oh, it down wow. and Corey hartman and you know Corey hartman just came out with sunglasses at night recently and both of them turned it down as well Corey hartman's turned down multiple songs that could have probably made it more famous than it was is what i'm getting mm. from this podcast <laughs> It seems that his manager has made some poor decisions in his career. <laughs> and if Curry Hartman's manager has not sacked his manager by now, I think he should have. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. Probably. Is Curry Hartman still alive? Didn't he, like, get addicted to drugs? Uh, probably. I, I want to say, okay, let's look it up. I feel like Corey Hartman, or Corey Hart, not Corey Hartman. Why do we keep putting a man on the end of it? Okay, he's still alive. He's 58. He did get addicted to drugs at one point. Oh, yeah, I remember he had like a very rough past, but yeah, I mean, he's known for his hits of Sunglasses at Night and Never Surrender, but he could have been known for Don't You Forget About Me. I'm just saying, guys, or Danger Zone. 
or danger zone. I mean, he could have had both. He, he could have had both. the double. Yeah, he could have been. He could have been known as the hit soundtrack guy. Yeah, and, and who is it? And who is he now? He's a foot. He's a footnote on our podcast that we had to look up on Wikipedia <laughs> because we didn't know anything about him. That's sad. We keep calling him Hartman instead of Hart. <laughs> Poor Corey. If you're listening to this podcast, we love you anyway. Please keep listening. <laughs> yeah, if you if you yeah if you want to come on this podcast and redeem yourself, we're available. <laughs> we, we 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 record it at seven p.m. U.S. Eastern time. It's fine. We can probably fit you in we'll, if you're not doing we'll, anything. We'll put you on the schedule. You can. Yeah. Explain all your choices because now we want to know. But I mean, think about it. And you you have to wonder though. That probably happens to plenty of musicians. They turn down songs all the time that they don't care for, and then it comes back and bites them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Apparently, Corey Hart could have been the the king of eighty soundtracks, and he was not. All right, Tim. Was there any eighty soundtracks before we go that we missed that you were sad besides Flesh Gordon? But we've already talked about it. Was not brought up. Well, I think you've missed maybe one of the most iconic ones. And this one has two soundtracks. It has a like a pop music-y soundtrack, and then it has an orchestral score as well. And that is Back to the Future. Oh, yes. That was, I saw that. I didn't even, we didn't even talk about it, but that one is a famous one too. Huey, I mean, Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, Huey Lewis, as we've spoken before, was, was a big thing before Back to the Future, but in, in the in the post Back to the Future world, mm-hmm. I mean Huey Lewis, Power of Love, Back in Time. I mean, it's all that's it's good hip to be stuff. square. It's all it hip, is to, be hip square. to be square. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that even outside of the Back to the Future soundtrack, I mean the Huey Lewis Sports album. I don't know if you're familiar with Sports. Not a clue. Heart, Heart of Rock and Roll. Well, yeah, I know the song. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. So, I mean, sports is almost like um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Night of the Opera. It's one of those great albums where you can listen to it beginning How to end. I've never heard the name of it then. That's great. I've never heard. I mean, I've heard of some of Huey Lewis in the news, but I've never heard of an album specifically called Sports. Now I've got to look it up. I think that should be your recommended listening for this okay. week. We will look up sports because I love Huey Lewis in the news. He's another one that off the top of my head, I could name like 17 songs. I mean, you've got the heart of rock and roll. It's to be square. I want a new drug. We could go on and on, but. Oh, absolutely. I, I saw Huey Lewis in the news, Elmwood Park in Roanoke about four years ago, yeah. five, four years ago. Absolutely fantastic. And like, and like you say, I mean, I, I know sports and I know a couple of other his albums. And I like some of his tracks, but you know, I'm not a Huey Lewis super fan. But I mean, he came on and like almost every track he played, and it's like this is great, and he, he sounded great. And sadly, I don't know if he can perform anymore. He had some kind of terrible problem with his ears, hmm. and he said he can't listen to music anymore because everything sounds distorted, and as a result, he can't hold pitch when he sings. It's really sad. Oh, that is really sad. I never heard that. That's like a lot. Like when you hear um, artists who vocal cords they have problems with too, it gets it's kind of disheartening. The power of the love was the like his number one hit. Right from Back mm-hmm. to the Future, yeah, I would yeah, from say. Back to the Future. Yeah, so and then of course you've got the Battle of the Bands contest with McFly, but yeah, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about Back to the Future, and for some reason, mm-hmm. it really didn't come up on any of the lists I looked at. Um, a few of the other ones that come up that we didn't talk about was Lost Boys, which I'm just going to tell you for real, I'm not familiar with Lost Boys. I'm familiar with the songs from the Lost Boys, but I'm not familiar with the film. I'm not familiar with either, but it came up a lot. A lot of people love that soundtrack, apparently. Um, I'm guessing from what Tim just said, it might be a good soundtrack. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's got it's got some good it's got some good. I think it's got that song in excess and Jimmy Barnes on it, I believe. Hmm. Um, and then Pretty in Pink, of course, Saint Elmo's Fire came up quite a bit, which I like Saint Elmo's Fire. That one's famous. And then the Goonies was another one that kept coming up. Mm-hmm. Which my husband's a huge Goonies fan, so I've seen it many times. I've seen the Goonies, but I, I wouldn't consider the soundtrack memorable. I I wouldn't be able to tell you the the you know the key motif if you will from that from that film and that's why i didn't bring it up because i can't i actually can't identify one song that was on the goody soundtrack if i'm being truthful with you like it's a movie that i know but i can't think of one song no absolutely not i tell you another one that i've just thought of is um of course a james bond film duran duran's a view to a kill this whole soundtrack of view to a kill Mm -hmm. that's a good one too that's kind of a little bit more obscure, though, so I don't know that it would have came up. But no, then I've heard that and I've watched it. And it's good. Yeah, they, I mean, now I come to think of it, I think the bulk of that soundtrack is John Barry orchestral. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the orchestral songs follow the themes from the View to a Kill song. And the interesting thing about View to a Kill is which I think it's Simon Le Bon. He was at a party um, and John Barry, the guy who composes all the orchestral bomb music, and he was there with him and also the uh, Cubby Broccoli, who was famously the producer for the James Bond films. And he was somehow wangled his way into some celebrity Hollywood party type thing. And he was a bit drunk. And he went up to Cubby Broccoli and said, hey, Cubby, he said, when are you going to have any good music for your films? <laughs> and he said, and he said, well, and Cubby Broccoli said, well, he said, if you can write a good song, he said, maybe you could do it. Well, that's, there it is. I mean, that make, that's one way to say it, I guess. I mean, that's how it works. There you go. And then the, the rest is history. And uh, my second favorite James Bond film that everyone says is probably the worst one. But there you go. I liked it. <laughs> well, Tim, you like what you like. We've said it many times. Exactly. On another, exactly. <laughs> on another note, I'm going to leave you guys with what with a few things. First of all, today it was released, Tim, the greatest news of all time about movie soundtracks. They're redoing Spice World. I want everyone to know Spice Girls have all agreed to do a remake of Spice World. This is federal news. We all need to know. Okay. Um. <laughs> I, I, um, I have not looked at much news today. So, I mean, that, that hasn't come down the wire yet. Well, I shared it on my Facebook. I put this is not a um, test, everybody. Red alert. <laughs> they are redoing Spice World. So, but I'm going to leave you guys with this. So this is not just 80s, but I'm going to leave you with what the top grossing movie soundtracks of all times are. And one I think me and Tim have talked about, the number one top grossing movie soundtrack of all time is The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston. Really? I, I thought it was the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. That's number two. Ah. So it um so it was um 45 million for the bodyguard, 40 million for Saturday Night Fever. Number three was one we brought up, Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. Um Titanic was number four. Okay. Greece was number five. Oh, Greece. Love <laughs> that that now that that's 70s, but that is a great soundtrack. <laughs> I this one's not in English, so we're gonna skip it. That one's not in English. I want to say they're Bollywood movies. So we're just going to pretend like I didn't have those. And then it's Purple Rain, um, Flashdance. I did see Flashdance quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Bombay, which was a 1995 movie that I'm not familiar with. And then The Lion King was the last one. At the top. Oh, they, there you go. Well, I, well I, I'm glad some classic um, soundtracks from my era that I'm familiar with are in there. Yes. And of course, um, I'm surprised. But I, I, the Bodyguard one surprises me every time. 
Like I've read that fact many times and I just, it's a good, it's a good soundtrack, but it's not like one that I put up on the top of my brain, I guess. Well, I suppose it's Whitney and, you know, we lost Whitney and it's a Dolly Parton song sung by Whitney and all that kind of stuff. So I could see that maybe had a resurgence. The other thing I is that actual physical units shifted or does that include downloads? I don't know. This was just speaking on sales monetarily. So I'm not sure what that includes. Okay. Because, I mean, the certainly if you go back 15 years or something, all of those kind of lists are based upon actual physical media mm-hmm. being sold. But now predominantly people are streaming stuff. And in addition to that, it doesn't seem to be common that people want to listen to albums top to tail. Well, and I will say, though, like the bodyguard, I think, had a resurgence, like when you said when Whitney Houston passed. But also, once again, I'm going to go back to my Glee roots. They did a Whitney episode and they talked about the bodyguard pretty heavily. And a lot of music, a lot of music got a resurgence when Glee kind of talked about it again. So that Mm could have contributed different pop culture references that brought it back into mainstream. That, that could be the case. I mean, I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, and then wasn't the bodyguard originally wit- written for somebody else? Um, not Whitney Houston? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen the bodyguard. But again, I, I have the soundtrack. I got, that, <laughs> I got that in a thrift shop for 50 cents. <laughs> so what I'm getting is Tim has literally never seen any movies, guys, but he's got the soundtrack. <laughs> Yes, that would be correct. <laughs> Apart from the Running Man, I have I've seen that ten times. <laughs> You've seen that one. They were not on roller skates, but the music does sound like Xanadu. <laughs> and that is where we will leave you guys. Well, there we go. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we will have a fresh and crispy episode for you next week. See you later. Bye.